All right. Hello, everyone. I am here with the Black Women's Guide to Understanding the Black Man by Shirazi Ali. And we are on Chapter 5 called Education. Let's get it. The education of the Black men has changed drastically. Oh, let me start with the forward. As long as we keep getting an education that continually leaves us in the position of begging white people for a job, our so-called education is of no value at all. We must learn the skills that will provide us with freedom of employment and unlimited opportunities. We must learn to hire ourselves. Black brother, what does the white man teach you that will benefit you as an independent black people? What do they teach you of decency and respectability so that the decent moral people of the earth will respect you as an equal among them and receive you as a visitor to their country to have the freedom to be accepted into their moral, respectable social equality? Black man, I warn you to be careful of how you lay your head in the lap of the modern-day Delilah. Do not be a prey to Delilah and her army of white men who are against you. Elijah Muhammad, messenger of Allah to you all. The education of black men. Wow, that's from the uh, Elijah Muhammad. She used that. Wow. Okay. Chapter five, education. The education of black men has changed drastically over the past several years. The definitions and responsibilities of compulsory public education has also been altered depending on the social politics regarding its value, which often changes every four years. Teachers and instructors have been required to incorporate their teaching techniques with lessons on self-control and to also function as discipline disciplinarians. Children are now showing up for class dressed inappropriately, sleepy, carrying no utensils for participation, loud and unruly, disrespectful, disrespectful and combative. Teachers find beneath all these layers of personality deficiencies that black children score low and remember little of what they learned in their previous years of school and are indifferent to approaching new topics of learning. Teacher salaries are too low, wage increases are bleak, and many have left for better paying positions in the private sector. Hall monitors are replaced with police or security guards, and many teachers have been attacked by irate parents and terrorized by students. They are schools being a happy, fun-filled, organized institution is over. Public schools now, especially from ninth grade on up, feel lucky if they can keep attendance at a decent level to justify their existence and feel blessed if they can just get all of the children to stop talking at the same time, or at least long enough for them to take the role. Fewer children take books home to complete homework. Parents rarely show up at PTA or other school functions, and all involved agree that public education has the overall scholastic achievement of the black male is reportedly at the lowest ever since 1954 when the Supreme Court declared segregated schools and recreational facilities unconstitutional. Hard civil rights and legal battles were fought yearly to secure what the black men of the early 1960s perceived as equal opportunity to education. These moves signaled a new, better chance to gain knowledge and skills that will prepare black men for acceptance into the American workforce. Many blacks benefited by integrating predominantly white colleges and universities and managed to uncomfortably learn more from the more 
more qualified teachers and professors who now headed their classes. Busing elementary black children into white schools located in white neighborhoods was very traumatic, but was doggedly accomplished. The penetration was complicated and no studies were made to determine the psychological adjustment black children had to make to comply with their parents and school board requests of forcing them into places where they were not wanted. By 1965, black men leaders, prompted by college youth and educators, demanded that black studies be included in curriculums, especially on the college level. A frantic search for African American historical data issue, which included modification of dress codes to accept black men's rights to wear their hair in the then popular Afro hairstyles, black curriculums were hastily down thrown together, including a few black men, scholars, scientists, post-slavery politicians, and a few courageous slaves who accompanied remarkable feasts while enslaved. This also opened up new teaching positions for black professors hired to direct and teach these new black study courses. Incorporated into these classes were the works of contemporary black writers of that period, such as Leroy Jones, <clears throat> Amari Baraka, Donnell Lee, Haki Mabuta, Akter Atharich Knight, Dudley Randall, Ralph Ellison, and Franz Fanon. Black men were thirsty for knowledge about themselves and were eager to learn. The new project of studying black history uncovered many discrepancies in what black men had been taught. On a university level, many of these misleading documentations were dispelled. However, on the elementary, junior, and senior high levels of American public schools, few changes were made in the mythology of teaching American or world history to black children. So while many of the adult black men of that era cleared up a lot of their misunderstandings about their real achievements and potential, the oncoming younger generations did not have the information imported to them. By 1975, faces and drawings of Afro-Americans began showing up in elementary-level textbooks, but all else remained the same. The same history was taught with black faces added. As it turned out, the popularity of the black pride in black history studies began to subside, and as the fads and trends of civil unrest faded, so did excitement and interest about black history. Bored white hippies disintegrated and their communes disappeared. They grew older, became bored with their rebellion, and returned to school to eventually assume the places prepared for them by their parents and society. The debunking of the civil rights industry shortly followed. On the trail of the dwindling participation of the Vietnam War, the youthful black men leaders without adult leadership representation caused the black pride movement to become tired and unfashionable and finish. Gone went the African clothes symbol and poetry, and they were replaced with bell-bottom pants, disco lights, and miniskirts. American businesses, as usual, resumed. The more American business, as usual, resumed. The more outspoken black men leaders were quieted either by murder, political appointment, business ventures, or jail. The existence of specialized daycare centers for black children dwindled. Government funding was withdrawn, and only a few unwavering, unwavering black men leaders continued to struggle. As an oversight, this was the only period in the black man's background that would have permitted him to establish his own unintegrated schools where he would teach his own black history. This was his immediate chance to pass on to his children their real legacy by teaching them what he had learned <clears throat> about black pride, but he blew it. He did not offer single control of his own schools in elementary level, even his control 
um, even his own community. He did not insist on remaining in charge of the curriculums Black children would be taught from. Black men leaders moved on to other political notions pertaining mostly to adults. They paralyzed, they, they paralleled all of their mental energies toward voter registration and lobbying for expanded civil rights. He made no preparations for the oncoming Black generations and the form and formulated no new standards for Black family home life. Instead, he placed his hope and faith in his dreams that the ballot and equal employment opportunities along with social integration would solve all his problems. He made no effort to redirect Black dollars into Black businesses, and he made no attempts to restructure Black traditions, holidays, or celebrations for his children. He left everything intact. His educational demand consisted of being consisted of better school buildings, recess materials, school lunches, immunization and healthcare, sport teams and included black males that included black males and integrated teaching and integrated teaching staffs and classrooms. He continued to depend on the government, the state and the city to teach his children. He has always done this. Back in the day during pre and post slavery periods, the method the Methodists, the Quakers and the the pre best the pre I hate saying that word prebasterians prebestus y'all know that religion p r e b y t e r i a n s were the first whites to establish black schools. Their presence of authority, whether they were sympathizers or not, wedged them into a position to teach and instill European histories and value ideas and customs and religions into the minds of black children. The white female, dedicated and prim, was in charge of serving the plates of education to the black that the black children ate from. This was an honorable work and dictated the format for maintenance at school. There were independent black owned and operated schools who felt compelled to maintain the standards approved and taught by whites. They were of course understaffed and under equipped and they were mostly taught and they were mostly taught by women while the men worked at other locations to earn money to support their families. This pattern has just today become under closer scrutiny as many new style black men educators have started to realize that by the time they inherit a black male in high school, after several years of being taught by white and black women, that it is often too late to effectively teach him ideas and values he needs as a man. They are now trying to establish programs enabling them to reach black male youth early in age to try to make <clears throat> to try to make a masculine impact on their character development during their formative years. More on this later. Part of the black man's problem concerning him establishing his own educational system is that he does not know how to do it independently. Certainly finance such as arrangement has its weight in the project, but next to what is his confusion regarding what to teach? What source will he use to teach the thematic sentence sequence of black history and how can he teach his information and still turn out black youth qualify to enter a European man, man workforce to get a job. On the tall end of the dilemma is his concern that whites may not approve of him trying to form his own school. So much 
had already been put into motion for progress through integration. How can we abandon all this without sending a message that might be misread as hostile or rejection of European values? Okay, we will stop there on page 78. So we read from page 74 to page 78. Um, what I took from that, that last part really stood out um, on the education note of feeling like if we do set up our own schools to teach our black children what they need to know, will we be a we won't be approved by the white man. So that kind of stops us. Plus, we know that we are here in America and our kids are probably going to have to work a job for the white man since we ain't built enough for ourselves. And how will our educational system uh, be accepted into the workforce? So that was pretty big. And I think what else stood out to me was in the beginning of the chapter when she laid out the statistics of ever since integration, our black men have been at the lowest of the scores of education and it ain't went up. And now I know that there's a statistic that she didn't mention, which she probably will later in the book, um, about them being in trouble the most at school, always put out of school and so forth. So I hope you got something from that.